Welcome to the Christian History Podcast, Chapter 3, Episode 64. Last week, after more than a year's worth of episodes, I wrapped up the history of Egypt, but I'm still working through the history of Exodus. So, I'm circling back to the text in that book, and working through all the other places and people. And for simplicity, I'm going to cover them in the order that they're presented. Well, as much as possible. There may be a bit of skipping around, but that'll just be to keep the narrative consistent. In this episode, and into the next, I'm going to cover what is known about the tribes of Israel, all listed in the first chapter of the book. Actually, it's the names of Jacob's sons who are listed, and it's from these patriarchs that the tribes derived their names. One more thing. This episode is dense with the names of people and places, names that are not part of our usual Western English dialect. I know there will be mispronunciations, or perhaps they'll just be different from what you've heard in the past, but do realize that these are not intentional and they do not change the history that's presented. And with that, let's get started. The first son listed in Exodus is Reuben, and of course, the tribe with the same name traced their origin to him and his wife Leah. Much of this genealogy can be found in 1 Chronicles chapter 5. And like most of the genealogy in this part of the Old Testament, there's outside history embedded. So, a minute for a quote from the New Revised Standard Version. The sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, Hanak, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. The sons of Joel, Shemaiah his son, Gog his son, Shimei his son, Micah his son, Riah his son, Baal his son, Berah his son, who King Tiglath Pileser of Assyria carried away into exile. He was a chieftain of the Reubenites. Pausing for a second, you'll remember that I mentioned King Tiglath Pileser when I touched on the Assyrians and their interactions with the Egyptians. He ruled Assyria between 745 and 727 BC, and is well attested outside of the Old Testament. There'll be more on him later, unpausing. And his kindred by their families, when the genealogy of their generations was reckoned, the chief Giel, and Zechariah, and Bela son of Azaz, son of Shema, son of Joel, who lived in Aror, as far as Nebo, and Belmion. He also lived to the east as far as the beginning of the desert, this side of the Euphrates, because their cattle had multiplied in the land of Gilead. And in the days of Saul, they made war against the Hagrites, who fell by their hand. And they lived in their tents throughout all the region east of Gilead. End quote. And these last couple of verses have three places and one people mentioned. Aror was a town on the north bank of the river Arnon, to the east of the Dead Sea, in present-day Jordan. The town was an ancient Moabite settlement. Aror is thought to be at the same place as the modern town of Arir. Gilead is a mountainous region east of the Jordan. It was named after the grandson of Joseph. And I'll cover the Hagrites when I get to the next tribe, Gad. Nebo is mentioned in Numbers chapter 32 as being between Saban and Beon. 
and also between Karathaim and Belmion. With all of that, you'd think we'd know its precise location, but we don't. It did likely exist, though, as it was mentioned in the Misha Stele. Obviously, it is thought to have been at or near Mount Nebo, and if true, this would place it on the eastern side of the Jordan River, just to the northeast of the Dead Sea, in the modern country of Jordan. It had rich pasture land and would go back to the Moabites in the Book of Jeremiah. This, too, is mentioned on the Misha Stele, specifically as the land having been taken from the Israelites. Belmion has been identified as the modern town of Ma'in, also in Jordan. It is reputed as the birthplace of the prophet Elisha. It, too, appears on the Misha Stele. Since I've mentioned it a couple times, a little bit about this Misha Stele, a.k.a. the Moabite Stone. It is thought to have been inscribed around 840 BC by the Moabite king Misha, hence the name. The tablet tells of how Chemosh, the god of the Moabite, had been angry with his people, then abandoned them, allowing them to be conquered by Israel. After a period of time, Chemosh returned and assisted King Misha in winning their freedom from Israel. In doing so, their independent lands in Moab were restored to them. The stele also tells of the king's construction projects. There is a debate about the language on the stone. It is either Phoenician or Old Hebrew. The primary confusion stems from how related these two languages were. Back to the tribe of Reuben. As the tribes prepared to enter Canaan by crossing over the Jordan River from east to west, according to the Book of Numbers, the Israelites defeated the Amorite kings Sion and Og, who held territory east of the Jordan. Sion had apparently previously refused to let the Hebrews pass through his land when they were still wandering. Then, the tribes of Reuben and Gad asked that they be given land in the territory east of the river, since it was prime grazing land, and they were livestock herders. Moses agreed, as long as they would help the other tribes conquer the remaining territory to be had. They would keep their end of the bargain, of course after Moses' death, when the confederacy of tribes was being led by Joshua, probably sometime around 1200 BC. Later, though, the Reubenites would refuse to aid the other tribes when they fought a Canaanite people known as the Sisera, as seen in the so-called Song of Deborah in Judges chapter 5, like was mentioned in 1 Chronicles and also in the book of Joshua. The land occupied by the tribe after the exodus and wandering was to the east of the Jordan River. The only other tribes on this bank were those of Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh. Reuben was immediately east of the Dead Sea, from the Arnon River in the south, and as far north as the Dead Sea stretched. With an eastern border vaguely defined by where the grazable land transitioned into desert, which is, of course, constantly, slowly, moving back and forth. Reuben's territory included the plain of Madaba. Later, the threat from the Philistines increased, and the Israelite tribes chose to form a strong, centralized monarchy to meet the challenge. And with that came King Saul. The tribe of Reuben joined in as part of this new kingdom. 
According to First Chronicles, during the reign of King Saul, the tribe, assisted by the two other in the same region, started and won a war against the Hagarites. After the death of Saul, all the tribes except for Judah remained loyal to the house of Saul. Saul was succeeded by his son, Ishboseth, but this king would meet his death in short order. With that, the tribe of Reuben joined the other northern Israelite tribes in making David, who was then the king of Judah, king of the reunited kingdom of Israel. According to 1 Chronicles chapter 11, the Reubenites were mighty warriors fighting under David's command. A couple of generations later, David's grandson, Rehoboam, would become king and the kingdom would split. Around 930 BC, in this split, the northern tribes from the house of David created what would become known as the Northern Kingdom. The Kingdom of Israel was in the north, and the Kingdom of Judah was to its south. The tribe of Reuben was a member of this Northern Kingdom. Then, around 732 BC, Pekah became the king of Israel. The Northern King allied with the king of Aram, a king named Rezin. The allied kingdoms then made a move on Jerusalem, which was located in the northern part of Judah. The king of Judah, named Ahaz, appealed to Tilgath-Pilasar for military assistance. Ahaz would pay tribute to Tilgath-Pilasar for his backing. After the tribute was paid, the Assyrians conquered Damascus and Israel and captured the region of Aram, essentially in Syria. This included the land occupied by the tribes of Reuben and Gad, along with the eastern portion held by the tribe of Manasseh. The population of these territories, including the Reubenite leader, were taken captive and resettled in Assyria, in the region of the Cabral River system and modern-day northeastern Syria. This narrative can be found in 2 Kings chapters 15 and 16. Things would remain quiet for them for about a decade, until 723 BC, when the land was reinvaded by the Neo-Assyrians. Then, the remaining Israelite population was deported, leaving only Hebrews from the southern tribes of Judah, Simeon, Benjamin, and Levi in the Levant. These deported tribes would become known as the Lost Tribes of Israel. Of course, there'll be much more on them in a later episode. And that's it for Reuben. The next patriarch on the list in Exodus is Simeon, but I'm going to skip his tribe and instead cover the tribe of Gad, since their history is closely related to the Reubenites. Gad, like Reuben, settled on the eastern side of the Jordan River. They too were one of the ten lost tribes. According to 1 Chronicles chapter 5, they lived in Gilead, in Bashan and its towns, and in all the pasture lands of Sharon to their limits. I covered Gilead a minute ago. Bashan was a region northeast of the Dead Sea and east of the Sea of Galilee. The Sharon mentioned here is likely not the same as the plains of Sharon in Israel, as the tribe of Gad was assigned land east of the Jordan, while the plains are well west of the river. Overall, though, the exact location is a bit ambiguous. Joshua chapter 13 provides a bit of detail, but unfortunately the locations quoted are not all geographic boundaries, but mostly political. Quoting, The border was Jazer, and all the lands of Gilead. 
and half the land of the children of Ammon, unto Aror that is before Rabbah, and from Heshbon until Ramoth Mizpah, and Bitoam, and from Aenaim unto the border of Lidbir, and in the valley Beth Haram, and Beth Nerah, and Sukkus, and Zaphon, and the rest of the kingdom of Sihon, king of Heshbon, the Jordan being the border thereof, until the uttermost part of the scene of Chinnereth, beyond the Jordan eastward. Overall, this land was to the north of Reuben and to the west of the Jordan. And the Sea of Chinnereth is one and the same as the Sea of Galilee. There's also a passage in Numbers chapter 32 that lists a few cities in their territory. They are Ramoth, Jazer, Aror, and Dabon. But Joshua 13 lists Dabon and Aror as being held by Reuben. So how do you reconcile this? Well, simply, the boundaries of the territories may have been a bit fluid. Like Reuben, and quite expectedly since the territory was on the border with non-friendlies, the location was never safe from invasion and attacks. The Moabites and Aram Damascus at first, and later the Assyrians. The next section in the same chapter of 1 Chronicles provides a little more color, quoting, The Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh had valiant warriors who carried shield and sword and drew the bow. Expert in war, 44,760 ready for service. They made war on the Hagarites, Jetu, Nafish, and Nodab, and when they received help against them, the Hagarites and all who were with them were given into their hands, for they cried to God in battle, and he granted their entreaty because they trusted in him. They captured their livestock, 50,000 of their camels, 250,000 sheep, 2,000 donkeys, and 100,000 captives. Many fell slain because the war was of God, and they lived in their territory until the exile, end quote. And given the relative exactness, along with the breadth of the numbers listed, it does support that they were mighty warriors. As for the defeated enemies listed, the Hagarites, Jetu, Nafish, and Nodab, they all were thought to have been descended from Ishmael. So Ishmaelites, probably living east of Gilead, where they too were livestock herders, which the captured livestock census supports. As herders, these Ishmaelites would have been competing with Reuben and Gad for access to some of the same grazing land. Much of Gad's history aligns with Reuben's, including the directions they went as Israel united under Saul, reunited under David, then split. Overall, their fate was essentially the same as that of Reuben, up through potentially being one of the lost tribes. The next tribe I'll cover is that of Manasseh since they bordered Gad, occupying territory to the north of Gad. But unlike the previous two tribes, they were on both sides of the Jordan, essentially dividing the tribe in half. The western half lived to the immediate north of Ephraim, in the center of western Canaan, between the Jordan and the Mediterranean coast. To their immediate north, so on their border, were the tribes of Issachar, Zebulon, and Asher. Also to their north was the tribe of Naphtali, but they did not share a border as Zebulon and Issachar were in between. 
eastern half of the tribe was the northernmost Israelite group east of the Jordan, residing in the land north of the tribe of Gad, extending from the Mahanaim in the south to Mount Hermon in the north, and including within it the whole area of Bashan. Mahanaim is where Jacob encamped in Genesis 32. Mount Hermon is on the modern border of Syria and Lebanon. It is also speculated as being a possible location of the transfiguration of Jesus, but to be clear, that's only speculation. Bashan was occupied by the Amorites prior to the arrival of the Israelites. Deuteronomy chapter 3 gives us more historical detail, quoting, When we headed up the road to Bashan, King Og of Bashan came out against us, he and all his people, for battle at Edrei. The Lord said to me, pausing for a second, the me here is Moses, the author of the text, unpausing. The Lord said to me, Do not fear him, for I have handed him over to you, along with his people and his land. Do to him as you did to King Shion of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon. So the Lord our God also handed over to us King Og of Bashan and all his people. We struck him down until not a single survivor was left. At that time we captured all his towns. There was no citadel that we did not take from them. Sixty towns, the whole region of Argob, the kingdom of Og and Bashan. All of these were fortress towns with high walls, double gates, and bars, besides a great many villages. And we utterly destroyed them, as we had done to King Sihon of Heshbon, in each city utterly destroying men, women, and children. But all the livestock and the plunder of the towns we kept as spoil for ourselves. End quote. Their territory was particularly rich in the most valuable of natural resources for the region, and that's water. Also, there were two important mountain passes in the region, Ezra-Elan on the west of the Jordan and Horan on the east, and these passes would be important for both trade and military defense. According to Exodus, the tribe were the descendants of Manasseh, the first son of Joseph, from whom it took its name. Although Manasseh was the oldest, it was his younger brother, Ephraim, who would receive the blessing of the firstborn. Why did he receive it? Well, Jacob predicted that Ephraim's descendants would be more successful than his brothers. A curious case of a great patriarch, in this case Jacob, having the power to override custom and considering that Jacob had previously managed to receive the firstborn blessing despite being second, his overriding the custom shouldn't come as a complete surprise. And this dynamic plays out in the boundaries of the tribes. Note that Joseph was the only son who would essentially be allotted two territories, Manasseh and Ephraim. But in the text, specifically in Joshua chapter 17, the two tribes are presented as just being two subdivisions of the whole tribe of Joseph. So, maybe just one tribe, subdivided into two smaller units. If you take this approach, then the geographic boundary of the tribe of Joseph is relatively consistent, but the boundaries between the two subdivisions, Manasseh and Ephraim, are not. 
to the point that each is depicted as having enclaves within the territories of the other. So maybe, at the time, Ephraim and Manasseh were considered one tribe, the tribe of Joseph. Also like the previous two tribes, their history, from settlement to the unification of the tribes under the first kingdom under Saul, through the split under Ishbosheth, then the reunification under David, and finally the next split, their history aligns with Reuben and Gad. With the last split, Manasseh would align with neighboring tribes and form the northern kingdom. Then, Manasseh was conquered by Assyria around 723 BC, and the population deported, just like the prior peoples. They too would be one of the lost tribes. I covered the fate of the eastern half of Manasseh's territory with Reuben and Gad. The people in the portion were exiled, sometime around 732 BC, to northeastern Syria. Those that remained, so the western half, located between the Jordan and the Mediterranean, would be invaded by Assyria in 723 BC, and the rest of the population was deported. So, they too would become one of the lost ten tribes. But there's something else. Similar to the previous tribes, there are groups that claim to be descended from them. And that part isn't unusual. What is unusual is that one of the groups claiming to be related is that of the Samaritans, of New Testament parable fame. They also claim to be related to Ephraim, so sons of Joseph. There's also a group of Jewish people in India, yes, that far away that call themselves Nai Manasha and are part of the Kukichin Mizo population. These Jewish adherents number about 7,000 in India and another 3,000 that have immigrated to modern Israel. Of course, the question of actual relation is greatly disputed. The next natural tribe to cover would be that of Ephraim, but there's not enough time in this episode to do them justice. So, they'll just have to wait until next week. Be sure to join me then. You don't want to miss it. Comments and questions can be sent to comments at christianhistorypodcast.com. As always, you can find information about the podcast on the internet at christianhistorypodcast.com. This week, help others to find a podcast by leaving a positive review on iTunes. You can find the Facebook page by searching the phrase Christian History Podcast as three separate words. Once there, be sure to like the page so that it's easier to find later. Finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, subscribe so you get the episodes as soon as they are released and you don't miss out. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.